here's a confession. Can I say it? So I used to be a clown. Actually, I was a clown's helper, which is like, what's worse? So there was a lady in our church. She had a business, like a party business, and uh, she was Bubbles the Clown. On occasionally, I would moonlight as Bubbles. It, like if a uh, Payless shoe store was opening up, I was that clown. And uh, I had one trick. I had the fat shoes and the nose, but I had uh, a plant you could blow on and it would die and come back to life. I mean, I was really just tier one clown. I was really a clown's helper who on occasion got to moonlight as a clown. We had an elf costume, but do you remember elf? But in the summer, it was so hot, all your sweat would get gathered up in the nose. So you know what? I was always going, this is a confession. So anyway, uh, we, now, we had a guy in my youth group who was a legitimate clown. Like, he had the Barnum & Bailey certificate, had been to the Barnum & Bailey School of Clown thing. And so he, would, he put all my clownness to shame, but he could juggle. He could juggle the bowling pins, you know, and then you could, like, throw another one at him. Whoa! And he'd, he'd pull it in, right? And then you could... He could juggle a water balloon with a bowling pin. He could, he could juggle very complicated sequence of, of items, which now I, don't, I can't juggle either. Gosh. I did not say this in the first service, by the way. Uh, but he could juggle all sorts of things. You know, for people who can juggle, it's one thing to juggle three balls. It's another thing to juggle, like, a cantaloupe a tennis ball, I mean, very different weights and that sort of thing. It's from the industry, just take my word for it. <laughs> this is in that you wouldn't understand. But. Anyway, um, I, I'd say that because I feel a little bit as a pastor, the past several years, the past couple years, has been um, the, I, the things happening in the church are all very isolated ideas that I've been juggling. And they're all different kinds of weights, and they're all kind of out by themselves, or these unique concepts. So it feels to me a little bit like I'm juggling a bowling ball, and a feather, and a squash, you know, and a snake. I, you know, just everything goes through the air differently, and they don't, they're not really coherent. They, those people who are in small groups don't really, it's not connected to Sunday morning in any real way. And how does a new member come into the church and get assimilated? Very difficult. We are a, a bigger church than our mechanisms of welcoming people in and helping them get. That is behind us. And this morning, what I'm excited to share with you is, is how um, I think we're going to take what we have been juggling and give it equal weight and measure and um, just adjust enough structure. Uh, so not overstructured, but just enough structure to help us do things well. I think at the heart of it, the right things are here in our fellowship. Um, they, they just need to be a little weight and balance so that it's, uh, we're not juggling. And I think that the truth is, 
what I thought were independent ideas, okay, like there's the building program and the church name and discipleship. Now, those have all become connected. Uh, I realize now every, everything that we've been doing for the past several years now are very much connected to uh, what God intends for us. So that makes, that makes me excited as well when you see, uh, you know, God moves slowly in our perspective which means you never see it. Rarely do you ever see it in the now, but you look back and you go, oh man, we've covered distance. And that's, that's how I feel this morning. So, I'm going to follow, I'm going to lead with some verses. So oddly enough, I'm going to put the kind of the verses, the scripture in front as introduction, and then the practical application is going to uh, dominate uh, the majority of our, our time this morning. This is kind of an unusual usual Sunday. I have about three verses that I want to put in front of you, mostly just to, um, just to stamp and uh, affirm with you that this idea, we did not go to a conference for this idea, nor did we read a good book, okay? This has been forged out of biblical conviction and a lot of work with the Lord. And much of this has been involuntary. It's been penalty laps that God has given uh, the pastorate uh, to do things better and to think about things in a more real way. So I, I, I want to start with, with the word. So the first one up is the Great Commission, which I won't read the entire thing out loud except to point out that it says, go make disciples. Now, we've been here before and you've heard this. That's why I'm saying it again. God tells us to go make disciples. That is the mission of the church, to go make disciples. Not converts, not believers, disciples. And that is the big idea. That's what we are doing. If you say, well, what, what do we do? We gather in, uh, as part of, as, as a momentary part of, uh, this eternal exercise of bringing the world into the discipleship of God. Um, so we're... We're in the business of turning non-followers back towards the Lord and to come alongside of those who are following God and help them mature in their walk with Christ so that they can be disciple-makers and not simply disciples. That's, that's the first passage. You can go uh, to Acts 2 now. Now, this passage in Acts 2 is a classic passage. Anyone who's going to talk about how to do church is going to claim Acts 2 as theirs. And for good reason. Let me just read the first sentence for you. This is right after Pentecost. 3,000 have been added to the number of the church. So they went from being kind of a secret society to legitimate, okay? They're house church to megachurch in a holiday, okay? And this is what it says. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Now it says... Apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Not they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and fellowship, but it, it will eventually say that. The breaking of bread implies that, but I want to say there's something more. They're devoting themselves to the teaching of the word and to the fellowship. This idea that I am bound to you and you are bound to me and we are bound to one another. That's what's there, right? This mutual responsibility and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay? It's kind of a, a good capstone sentence. And then beneath it is an expression 
of how that played out in their culture, in Jerusalem in the first century. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this is not a prescription of what you need to do. It's, again, it's, it's a description of what happened in their time, but some principles come out of it, right? The Holy Spirit was at work. A corporate identity began to rise up, right? They began to gather as an idea, which defied the customs that previously defined their lives. They had a sense of mutual accountability and responsibility to one another. We see that there. We see this idea of almost a new kind of family. They were meeting in one another's homes, sharing meals, sharing possessions, doing things a family does. Okay, we, we refer to brother and sister in Christ kind of as with churchy language, but it really is quite a profound thing to say to, especially a Jewish community, who's very family-oriented, to begin to use the language of family for themselves in their context of their faith. Now, all sorts of people come to this text. So if, if you believe in small church, you come here and you go, ha-ha, right? Meeting together in one another's homes. Church is small. And then people, but if people want to defend big church, they come here and go, 3,000 were added to the number. You figure it out. And by the way, day by day, it says, they were added to the number. So even if it was small, if it was healthy, it wasn't small for long. Here's the problem. If you're committed to small and health, then you will eventually have to choose at some level. About a year ago, we were preaching through this in a different series, and we said um, we believe that God intends for there is some essential nature of smallness that needs to be present no matter how big a, a community of believers is, that there's certain certain essential ideas of discipleship, becoming a disciple that happen best in small settings. And that however we grow, we need to make sure we capture and care for that idea. And I think that's present in this text. I think you could say one thing. You know, there are probably hundreds of permutations of what strategies of discipleship that could come from a text like this. Probably one of them that cannot come from this is we meet for an hour a week in church. That, that seems to be stressing the fullness of this passage. Okay, one more passage here. Ephesians 4. Now this is one sentence. I left the verse markers in because it's, it's one long sentence. But if you think of Matthew 28 as God commissioning his intent, and Acts 2 as God showing, hey, I'll do what I said I would do. All my power has been given to you. Make disciples. So if there's the intent and then there's the glorious success at Pentecost, Ephesians 4 describes the fact that God brought design to mankind as well. Look at at this. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Verse 12, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. 
He gave these things. In other words, God has some divine order, some divine structure that he's given to the church to equip them. Now notice it doesn't say he gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to do the saintly work of ministry. That's not what it says. It says he gave them the body that to equip the body for the work of ministry. In other words, whatever, the, whatever discipleship is in our church, it should involve us, like us in the work. It's got to be more than a, a program or a structure, more than a book. You know, work through this book, and when you're done, call me, and I'll give you a book too. That, that's learning. That's not discipleship. Good things might happen, but it appears to me from the, the counsel of Scripture that God intends for people to shepherd people in all sorts of ways. You see 13, so God gave these people to equip the people for the work of ministry. Why? Until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge and of the Son of God to mature man and to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the, the unity of faith, knowledge, and maturity. And so in other words, God is ensuring that the people of the fellowship are being matured so that they can mature the whole fellowship so that it has the stature, the stature of Christ. Why? So that they're no longer children tossed to and fro, so, so they can preserve and endure. That is, that's the goal. Now, there's so many other passages, and I, I've, these, I'm using these because um, these have the whole church in mind. I would say over the past two years, the majority of the ones that have had the greatest consequence have been word, like a word of God to to Jeff, Pastor Jeff and I, uh, a conviction of how our responsibility and the responsibility of eldership in the church. And so there's, there's so many others. You know, the fact that Christ is the shepherd and he knows the names of the sheep. And then he turns to his disciples and tells them to shepherd in a similar way. T. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And that Peter would hold on to that so that he would one day say to shepherds, shepherd the flock of God that is under your care. That idea, that continuity of we are to be shepherds like Christ is a shepherd. And man, Christ knew people. Christ was about people, not about read this book. Um, in other words, whatever structure, whatever minimal structure that we bring for discipleship, it ought to make way for massive relationship. Okay? All right. So we're about to get really practical here. Get ready for slides and things are a little atypical for me on Sunday, but you're getting it. Um, this has been a genuine effort, so it's going to look... The, by the time it's made a slide, sometimes you may feel packaged. Man, genuine uh, effort has gone into trying to do this right. There's probably other ways it would work, but this seemed right to us. It seemed worked out with the Lord. Okay. You can go to that first slide. This is the strategy. Any questions? I want to derive it from the bottom up. I want to derive it with your perspective in mind. So if you're asking, what does this mean for me? This is the direction I want to do it. I will say it was not built that way. It was built top down. 
um, in, it is they are in they are in concert. Okay, so but there was a lot of intentional design. So if you in today you're wondering well how are elders going to work and what does it look like for oversight and those sort of things, man, there's as much thought in that direction as there is from the bottom up. But I figured for the purposes of today, it's best to look bottom up. You're going to see things that you think you're familiar with, like like life group. And I want to say, don't be dismissive about it, okay? We have made adjustments. So you're going to hear adjustments to familiar ideas this morning. So I don't want your mind to see a familiar word. And you know how the mind does. Sometimes it clamps down on that and says, I know what that is. Okay? Don't do that because we've made some important adjustments. Likewise, you're going to see some new terms, like maybe community group for some of you. And I don't want you to be alarmed because it's really, you're going to, at the end of the day, you're going to say, I've, I've really heard, not heard that much that's entirely new here. It's just maybe we've had to rename something because it, it was just different enough that we wanted to highlight the adjustment rather than the similarity. The big caution is, please listen with fresh ears. Please try to listen to the nuances because for many of you, this will be a nuanced conversation. All right? Okay, so what does it mean for you? Starting at the bottom. This is you. And we have three words that start with I because it works. What you are to do, okay? In in addition to, in in other words, in the concept of disciple-making at Sycamore Hill Church, what unique role do you play? And I would say this. You represent the seat of outreach and evangelism in this area. You are the number one way that the people around you are going to be drawn to the Lord. What I'm saying is is there is not some ministry in our church that's going to do that work for you. You can do it. You can do this. Okay, you are, I, I want to first advance you beyond the fact that you're a consumer or you're an attender to the idea of you fill a unique role. And that role is you are around a unique subset of people that you know better than other people and people you've built bridges of trust with and relationships with and those you need to build bridges of trust with and develop relationships. And that, those people, you're going to identify who among that crowd is, is maybe a God seeker, you know, in that crowd of where you live, work, and play, who there might be responsive to the gospel. And then you would invest some time and energy into them. And then you'd try to find a way to invite them. And you could either invite them into Christ right there. Like, what if you have a coworker or, you know, a friend, and, and you say, how about we meet? Thursdays for lunch, and we meet Thursdays for lunch, and we'll talk about spiritual things. And, you know, after a while, maybe you can say, you know, where are you on the spectrum? Are are you in or are you not in? Maybe you would get that. But maybe you simply can bring enough of the friendly faith to them that you would feel right to invite them to some other entryway, whether it be a life group or a community group, and we'll talk about these in a second. But you are the way... Those who do not know Jesus will be invited into our fellowship. Okay? This level of church is beyond my control, beyond any kind of structure, right? We cannot structure 
down to your level. Your level is organic. It's you. You're driving it. You're in control. Um, and so this is, I would call this a highly relational, highly unstructured level of discipleship. Okay? All right, go to the next slide. Next up would be a life group. Life groups, and here, this is a slight adjustment. They're fellowship-oriented. So high on fellowship, high on the breaking of bread, high on prayer, high on life shared. It's personal life together, okay? So it's not, you don't confine your remarks to the weather, okay? It's real friendship. It's a place where relationships can mature to genuine friendship, all right? The teaching in a life group will be, again, this might mean some adjustment for some of you, but is designed to be a little more welcoming, facilitated. Three or four really good questions about uh, something that, you know, not huge homework assignments, where if someone's new, right, if you as an individual invite your friend, you want to be able to invite them to life group and know they're going to get there and not feel like they didn't do their homework. Okay? You want to get them there and feel like, I can trust that they're going to come here, and no one's going to say, well, what about dispensation? Okay, no big words. Okay? It's an inviting place where it's more like, well, let's talk about, here's a verse that we've been working through this week, you know, that you may have emailed out to the group. Let's talk about how this has played out in our life. Where have you maybe had in a moment your week where this was real? Okay, every... See how that's a little different? Size matters with life groups. So I 10 to 20, it's home size. Okay, now that varies for stage of life. So, you know, three families with three kids each, max it out. Okay, you, whereas you can cram a bunch of empty nesters in a room. and they, So there's no, it's a concept, okay? It's not a rule. Uh, but size does matter. In other words, life groups need to be sensitive to the fact that they're trying to develop real friendship. They need to be in-state oriented. What are we trying to do here, and can we still do it? Because if you put 60 people in a room, they're not gonna, somebody's not going to raise their hand and say they lost their job this week, and they need a lot of prayer. Where does that happen? That should happen in a life group, right? That's the idea. Affinity matters. We're not going to be shuffling your life group every year. We're not going to be out with the old and with the new. Okay, there's going to be a spirit of constancy. Now that's observed. Okay, that, that, there you go. It is the seat of fellowship and care in the church. This is where it's really happening, all right? Okay, let's go up one more. We'll spend most of our time here. This is a community group. A community group meets regularly. It's mid-sized. So look, 30 to 60 people in a community group. It meets regularly on Sunday. There's good teaching present, and it's a social space. Coffee, donuts, how about those eagles environment? Okay? Now, some of you are going, well, it's Sunday school. I know this. It's Sunday school. It's not Sunday school. Okay? It's extremely important that you, at this moment, that you do not supplant an old form into this new space because it is, Sunday school is built and centered around the teaching of the Word. 
community groups are oriented around a different center, and that is their community. Okay? Community groups are built around a community, which means that in this church we would organize so that the people, you know, the Newark folks might have a Newark community group, and there might be a couple of Hokeston community groups, and a, you know, a Chester County community group, and a I mean, these are overly broad, right? I mean, because everything's a little more complicated than this. A North Wilmington community group. Uh, but you, we would try to batch and bundle, you know, 30 to 40 to 50, 60 sort of people, place in biblical spiritual oversight over them a lay elder or an elder to say that elder is responsible for the spiritual oversight of that community and that community is responsible for their community. And they study the Word on Sunday. They meet and they study the Word on Sunday, but they're mindful of their community. And incidentally, now I can go backwards now, the the elder with that community group, they're deciding, by the way, which life groups, how many life groups, how big are the life groups, do they even need life groups? I mean, so life groups is standing for an idea. The reality is the spiritual oversight of that community is coming from that elder with the, the other leaders in, in his group, and they're deciding how to do ministry there in a way that's fitting for the people there. Okay, probably life groups are a good rule of thumb. Let me give you a few ways that this is broken down in our church here in Hokesson, on July 4th, the Hokesson Parade will commence in our parking lot. Literally in our parking lot. Since I've been a pastor, I've not figured out a relevant way to partner the church with that. And I used to be confused. I was confused and busy, and that's why it failed. Now I know why. Same ways, we have a t-ball field this place gets packed out during the week with t-ballers who are living in our community. Now, the reason now I know, I know this, the reason now that I have a hard time saying to the whole church, come on out on the 4th of July to Hokesson is because most of you don't live in Hokesson and you don't want to come to Hokesson for the 4th of July. Let's be honest. You can get a hot dog anywhere else. Why come here? of minority, a significant minority, but a minority the church calls Hokesson home. We draw, we draw all the way south of Route 40. We draw to Oxford, we draw to North Wilmington. So the majority of you are not from Hokesson. So the Hokesson 4th of July parade is not a relevant activity for the majority of you. What if there was a community group, two community groups in Hokesson? What if we said, they got it. Whatever they do on the 4th of July in Hokesson, that's their issue. You're in the Newark community group. Don't sweat it. What are you doing in Newark? We should be able to say to an Avondale, Kennett Square community group, you know, uh, next Sunday they're not going to be here in church. We're going to pray for them because they have a mushroom festival. It's a big deal. 250,000 people come into Kennett and Avondale during that period of time. A great moment. You know, I'm never part of that. We're never part of that, and we live in Kennett. That's probably a Sunday. They should not be here. They should be there. Making friends, connecting. It's about a community. 
You see, if this is done well, this, if this is done well, we're already a third of the way towards church planting if we can do this well. This really is going to be the core organizational idea that we're gonna, that out of which discipleship will birth. So the ministries underneath it will happen. You, a new person at church, you come in, you know, if I introduce myself to you and find out you're, oh, this is where you're from, and, and you know, I'll size you up because I'm a sizer upper and you look like this kind of person. How about you meet this guy? He's the community group leader. He meets right in your area. And now that elder would be responsible for helping you assimilate and get your questions answered. You want to be part of a small group? Well, there's two or three that meet in that area. Here's when they meet. It's happening at this, this level. One other thing. You see this, the seat of mercy ministry? We're excited about this. So there's, there's a genuine heart of doing mercy ministry well. It's hard to do at the level of a campus or the church. It's very hard to do. I'll give you some examples. Let's say in your life group, um, well, Kathleen Coleman, just to give uh, Door of Hope more visibility today since it's, it's their day. Let's say Kathleen and James Coleman are, are in your life group and they, you know, they're opening up um, a center in Middletown. It's a big deal for Door of Hope this year. They're opening up. And so let's say that there's a need for like a paint and drywall day. So Kathleen Coleman in her life group says, hey, it'd be great if maybe our life group could set a Saturday aside and go do paint and drywall. Right? Now in her life group of 15 people, I bet you eight. That's a reliable guess, Okay. Maybe eight are up for that. In the life group, you can influence people because it's about relationship and it's close and people love one another. Okay? So about eight are going to go and she gets super excited and she comes to me and she says, we should tell the whole church to do this. Right? And I fall for that one. All right? Which I've fallen for. And so I say at the pulpit, hey, next Saturday is uh, yeah, the Dora Hope. Instead of eight people, they'll get 15. So there's 15 people, out of which eight come, and then the other 200 to 300 people, seven more show up. Well, you know why? Because it's not relational. It's information. You assume that there's people who are excited about that. And you have five other things to do on Saturday. So the last thing you need is another information about, here's a great idea to do on Saturday, because we fight for our Saturdays tooth and nail. In other words, these sort of pocketed mercy ministries do not live well at this level. It's just don't propagate well. You know, especially when people who are excited about them don't appreciate that 15 people is successful. That's success. Whereas at a community group level where people kind of know one another, maybe a community group would say, you know what? Kathleen Coleman's in our community group. That's that ministry. We're going to kind of adopt that ministry. We're the, we're the Door of Hope community group. And two times a year, we're going to try to like be real in the life of that ministry because golly... Kathleen's here, and we love Kathleen, and Kathleen loves us, and we're part of that. With 30 to 60 people, you could probably get 20 when you could just get 15 for the whole church. So that's the rationale behind some of that, okay? Uh, This has been a missing echelon in our fellowship, largely because, and probably some of you are asking this, because we cannot fit them in the church on Sunday. Some of you may be saying, how are you supposed to fit 30 to 60 people I mean, we have our only adult classrooms are the men, the, my office, the associate pastor's office, and the choir room. Room 120, the room down there. 
that one. I mean, we've essentially birthed ourselves out of the building. So four years ago, we were way down by the stairwell with adults, and the sycamore room was empty. It was a fellowship room the whole time. Now, right now, that room is cut up, and teaching's happening on both sides with children. Children have, we've lost ground. <laughs> it's great, right? What a great battle to lose. But uh, nonetheless, if you're saying, well, how are we going to do this? I'll say, well, we're going to figure a way out. So it's a great question, but you know what? I'm, not, I'm no longer doing that I've done for two and a half years. For two and a half years, I've bowed the vision for discipleship to our building. Oh, well, as though the building gets to dictate how we're going to make disciples. No. The building will bow to the vision of discipleship. And we'll figure out what to do. We'll, whether we need to bring in a couple of trailers, whether we need to find new space, those sorts of things. We now know we'll go find or build or do what we need to do to do ministry the way we think we're called to make disciples, not to fill this building. So let's put things in the right order. All right. Good. Campus. Look at the campus for a second. This is, you'll be most familiar, even if you're a first-time visitor. This is church. It feels like church to you. This is where the high forms of worship show up, like a congregational worship, preaching. So just so you see, the strategy of discipleship accounts for learning of the word in several ways. The exhorted word, the preached word, the taught word, in your community group on Sundays, okay? These are important ways. And then like the word facilitated, not in your life group or small group environment, okay? That's important from a learning perspective. That is important. We think knowing the Bible is important and, and, and we're caring for where, where the ways it's being taught. Your campus is where structured ministry takes place. So by the time you get to the campus, right, when you start way at the individual, it's all organic and all relational. By the time you get to the campus, it's high, it's structure starts to dominate. This is where we have facilities, we have resources, you can block out a room, you can do a special event, we have data that you can share to give you emails, to invite lists, you, all those sorts of things, okay? That's what's happening at the life of the campus. Also, this is where we maintain kind of the ministries that kind of cut across age groups, men's, women's ministries, or things like youth ministry and children's ministry, things that cannot be sustained in smaller settings. That's what we're doing here. We say 60 to 500 because we know that kind of church. I mean, right now we're kind of a 500-person church in a 250-person clothing. That's what we're, we are. It's also, a, it's just a size dynamic. Churches between 300 to 500, which is this campus, behave and have certain dynamics that are just true. Once you get bigger than that, new dynamics kick in, which we don't know yet. So, so we just talk about the kind of church we understand. Okay. Next slide. What does it mean to be one church? These seven tenants were drafted about three years ago, actually, when we were trying to uh, plant our first church. And we believed we want to maintain one church as we do it because church planting is hard. And we don't just want to plant a church. We want to be a church that plants churches. We want to be able to see opportunities in our communities and race to them and plant a church. And if you're going to do that more than once, especially, then the idea of holding on to certain elements of identity and, and being able to leverage our unity across the campuses becomes 
very valuable, extremely valuable. And these seven tenants we drafted. Now, I'll say this, before I go through the seven tenants, my experience has been that being one church doesn't mean a lot to most of you. Like if I said, what does it mean that we're one church? Not so much. Okay, so uh, I'm, I just want you to know, I feel that, I hear that. And, and so what I did is I went back to the, these tenants and I said, we must be doing something wrong. So I went down the list and I said, no, we get pretty good grades. Check, 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 you know. I mean, I grade pretty, I'm a hard grader. Probably the one, by the way, that we don't do well. Well, we don't do well in the eyes of the church is collectively ordained and shared pastoral oversight. So Pastor Jeff and I, and when Pastor Terry was on staff, we were all extremely close and, and, and shared our lives and spiritual discernment. We did major work together frequently. It was not seen by the church. I think right now uh, I'm kind of siloed here and Pastor Jeff is siloed there and rarely do the two cross. I was dropping my daughter off at his house for a birthday party. And there's a guy who looked at me and went... I know you. And I was like, I don't know you. I'm pretty sure, have I seen you on TV? You know, and he, he had, so he's been a longtime attender of that campus, had never met me. Never met me. And uh, I mean, I thought, man, we could do a better job at that. That's why. I'm preaching through the Romans for the whole church and then Pastor Jeff will be preaching. And as soon as we can, you know, once we can build up our pastoral staff a little bit more, we'll do more rotations of bodies rather than uh, using the video. So that's a place where we think we can do better. But for the most part, especially now that we have a common vision for discipleship, we're we're pretty good here. We share our budget. That's huge. I mean, that's a big deal. Still, I think it feels to most people like, it's just kind of a thing we say, we're one church. And I've decided, you know, I thought, we, we grade pretty well with these metrics, so maybe they must be the wrong metrics. Like, maybe they're just fluffy metrics. If we don't feel like we're one church, but we grade well, well, maybe we need different metrics. But I look and I go, these are pretty good. These are pretty substantive things to give the campuses freedom and yet try to preserve them at the same time. So I think what it is, is we're trying, maybe we need to redefine what are we trying to get from one church? What's the experience? Okay, so let me just share with you. What does it mean to be one church? Sycamore Hill Church is a strategic idea. Okay? It has God's advancing kingdom and his mission at the center of that idea. So way down at the individual, highly relational, highly organic, way up at the level of church, the mission of God is at the front. What is God doing? Where is God going? And how can we as a church be faithful to that? Okay, the mission of God is champion at the level of the church. And so... It is a uni- it's an idea. It's a unified commitment to propagate God's kingdom in a healthy way. In other words, these metrics help us consistently and reliably, hopefully, plant churches. It allows us to do really big things that we could not do if, if we were smaller churches. Just think of it this way. Imagine us being four campuses, which is not that far away, I don't think, by the way. I, I don't think it's very much over the horizon. We were four campuses... 
Can you imagine? And we are talking about embracing a missional partnership in West Africa right now. There's four campuses. You could go to West Africa eight times a year. You could send eight teams a year to West Africa and, and you know, each campus go twice or something like that. Three of those four campuses could never dream of even embracing any idea like that. But because we're collectively larger, we can do things like that, make serious kingdom impact somewhere because we're cooperating together. That's, uh, this is a... I think this is useful for the preservation and safety of small church plants. It's, it is lonely. If you are a church planner all by yourself, it's lonely. You know, if you're going to really try to reach the lost, you're going to go somewhere and really try to reach lost people, you know what they, lost people do not do? They do not tithe. You try to be a lonely church planner in that environment. You know, I, I like to think of us the way Paul talks about. You know, Paul was funded by the churches to do ministry. That's how we fund church planners. We say, we believe that God's in that. Go. Relax. You don't need to plead with them for money because we are a big idea. And we believe that God wants a church in that community. And eventually one day, they'll go from not followers to followers to matured believers who tithe. That's beautiful. I guess what I'm saying is this. I I do not think you need to feel like you need to know everybody at the other campus. Okay, knowability is a little bit of a myth. Imagine right now, imagine five church, five campuses. No ability is, you know, out the window. Imagine if the Wilmington campus plants a church, plants a campus across the Delaware Memorial Bridge. Like, you'll never know any of those people. It's an idea. It's an idea. So, you know, you don't need to wear the t-shirt. You don't need to, you know, be a fan of the idea. But I do think to honor what we're trying to do with it, that's, maybe that's where it should live. All right. All right, this last, oh, it's not the second to last slide, and I'm almost done. This is, uh, you can just push the button a lot, yeah. This is um, just another visual of expressing some of the things we've already said. So just to show you, like, there is a methodology to how we're trying to care for the word being taught, how we're trying to recognize where fellowship actually takes place versus um, where it doesn't need to take place. And also outreach. We have outreach happening, right? You as the individual are reaching your friends and colleagues, your community group is sensitive to your community, and then the church is being thoughtful of the region and the world. That's, that's the idea. So there's the last slide. How does it feel? You're like, all right, what's the cost? Not that much different than the rhythm that already exists for many of you in the church. Sunday, come to church on Sunday, okay? I will eventually be encouraging you, those of you who come for an hour, to say, stay and be part of your community group. Though... Your community group is also the people that are part of your small group. So there will be a lot encouraging you to stay, I think. So I imagine a weeknight, some night during the week, where you meet with your small group in some way, shape, or form, your life lived, which is you, and then Sunday. That's the idea. Now, there are all sorts of permutations. This is not obligatory. We're not going to have like the... Attendance police walking around, taking your name and number, no barcodes tattooed on you or anything like that. It's, but I do think it's right, and I want to say these are not redundant ideas, okay? So I'm not, we're not saying you can do this on Sunday or you can do it during the week. These are different ideas 
that complement one another. We're also not saying this is exclusive, so we're not saying men's and women's ministry are, are getting kicked to the curb or VBS is gone. There's other things that will certainly exist. Right? This represents, however, our strategy for making disciples in this church. That's what we're doing. All right. Good. I'm sure God could do it better. Uh, I'm sure there's tweaks, um, but I think it's good. I think it's faithful. I think it's faithful to the conviction of Scripture is what I think. I think it's trying to do right by you. It's responsible to God's call on the leadership for you. And uh, I'm excited. Let me pray. Actually, will you stand and I'll pray. I'll close this out with a prayer. Be happy to visit with you if you want to meet for lunch or breakfast. I'm a hobbit. I do breakfast twice sometimes. So we pray, Lord, uh, bless us and keep us. Let your face shine upon us. We pray your spirit would be in our effort. Uh, Lord, you do say all power has been given to you and then you bequeath it to your disciples to make disciples. So we ask for that, Lord. We ask that amidst rigorous thinking and structure and order, Lord, that most of all your spirit would be present. The power of the Lord would be with us so that we might do this in the right sort of way. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.